This week on The Reverse Stick, we continue our interview with hockey legend Terry Walsh. Talk World League and try and figure out how you get to the World Cup. Yes, this is The Reverse Stick, back for another week. And joining me to talk hockey... And all things to do with hockey is Matt Allen. How are you, Matt? Yeah, good day, John. I'm feeling good, mate. I'm feeling the excesses of the soreness of being an old man running around against younger <laughs> fellows on the hockey field. Uh, the Achilles is playing up, and of course, it always hurts a little bit more when you lose at the weekend. It's a fairly broad term, running, though, when we're talking about you getting around the field, are we? Uh, well, you know, I, I might hog the uh, top of our D a little bit too much <laughs> and uh, try not to let the young fellows do the running forward. But uh, yeah, running, mm, yeah, loose description. Coming up on today's episode, we will be continuing part two, our interview with Terry Walsh. Another part to come next week as well. This week, he's talking a little bit about the Olympics, about his knee reconstruction and uh, scoring goals. And we'll also be chatting about the World League. That's right. We've uh, There's lots been going on in the World League, obviously. The, the, the women's edition, the Fintro Hockey World League in Brussels is underway. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and the men's. Uh, first round of the semi-finals has just got underway there as well in London so we'll talk a little bit about the winners and the losers there and uh, the route of, of those guys and what what the next steps are with the Hockey World League finals and Hockey World Cup qualification for 2018 But all of that would come under the banner of News So yes, the uh, Women's Fintro Hockey World League semi-finals are underway in Brussels at the moment uh, the quarterfinals are due to take place on Thursday the 29th of June. It, at this stage, it's looking pretty likely that Malaysia and Scotland will be the two sides that will miss out on the quarterfinal lineup. Uh, the class- classification games and the semis take place on the 1st of July. Netherlands are looking particularly strong there in that competition, as you would expect from the number one ranked uh, women's team in the world. Um, and also, surprisingly, Italy are looking pretty good. They're 16th ranked. Uh, they're the only other unbeaten side at the moment, but the competition's wide open um, as the teams look to qualify for both the Hockey World League finals this November in Auckland uh, and then also spots up up for grabs for the the World Cup in London in July 2018. Now exactly how does all that work Matt because one of the problems uh, people have alluded to me with they have is trying to follow how the World League works and and what it all actually means. I think there's a lot of confusion and, and if you try and sit down and write down how you're going to explain to others uh, how the system works, you get confused yourself with it. Um, but the basic premise is, is that the Hockey World League are the, are the feeder um, competitions. Uh, there's different stages of those so the smaller nations can get involved and, and rise up. And as we've, we've just seen in the, the men's semi-finals, Malaysia um, have, have done very, very well as a, a smaller nation to go through that system um, and perform incredibly well um, in the men's competition. Um, so the, from the Hockey World League, we've got qualification on two levels, one for the Hockey World League finals. I'm sorry, from, from the semi-finals, we've just had qualifying for the finals for that. But then there's also places up for grabs for the Hockey World Cup as well. Now, what we're talking about is the Hockey World League is a separate tournament that has its own qualification and its own final and its own prizes at the end of it. And part of the qualification for the World Cup, which is a separate tournament, is where you finish in the World League. 
That's Is that right. basically how it works? Yeah, that's basically how it works, yeah. But you, you can qualify for the World Cup from outside of the World League as well. So there's different ways to qualify for the World Cup. You've got your top five uh, finishes from both of the semi-finals of the Hockey World League. And now bearing in mind there's 16 teams in the Hockey World Cup this time around. Uh, so that's 10 in total from the two semi-finals. There's then six spots up for grabs. One of those spots goes to the home nation. So for the men's tournament, that would be India. For the women's tournament, that would be England. And then you've got your five qualifiers, who are the, the winners of the uh, European Championships, the Oceanic Championships, the Pan American, the African and the Asian Championships. So 16 spots um, up altogether. And so there's many ways that you can get there. Now, we've had the qualifiers from the first lot of qualifiers announced for the, uh, the World Cup the f- top five teams from the recent Hockey World League in London, and they would be... That's right. So Canada and Malaysia have done very well there to get qualified alongside some of the more traditional powerhouses in England, Argentina and the Netherlands. Uh, Netherlands uh, had a stonking win to, to finish the tournament off and uh, smashed the Olympic champions, Argentina, who'd had a very good tournament. Uh, Gonzalo Payer ended up as the top scorer of the tournament with 12 goals. He only got one extra one from when we spoke about it last week, but he yeah, finished top scorer and player of the tournament. Um, so, you know, he was a bit of a star that shone throughout the, the tournament for those guys. Uh, there just wasn't enough in him to, to get them over the line against the, the Dutch, who are looking very, very strong. And it must be said that India also qualify out of that set of semi-finals as well, don't they, as the host nation? Yes, yeah, so as the host nation they do. Um, it's lucky that they do because they didn't really have a great set of results. Um, they did have a big win against Pakistan, which uh, fell at the same time as the uh, uh, the cricket that was going on uh. and where Pakistan got the result the other way around on them. Um, but they uh, ended up in the final game losing out 3-2 to, to Malaysia, um, which is just a sensational result for the Malaysian side. Oh, absolutely, and it's great for hockey too. I think people tend to think of Malaysia as a, a, a latecomer to, to hockey as a sport in, in recent years. But, I mean, even uh, our feature interview, Terry Walsh, he, he's played a World Cup in Malaysia in 1975. Yeah, there's you know always been a huge hockey following in, in Malaysia. And, of course, the Sultan Aslan Shah Cup takes place there every year, yeah. um, which attracts a lot of top nations. And there is some talk of uh, about the future for the Sultan Shah, Aslan Shah sorry, Cup and it may be somewhat limited. We hope that that's not the case and that uh, the hockey authorities do try their best to keep that tournament going because it's been an excellent tournament and everybody who's ever been to that tournament comes back just raving about it. Yeah, I think it gives a lot of the bigger nations an opportunity to blood some younger players. Um, you don't traditionally see a lot of the top stars filling out those sides, so it's um, it's a really good uh, stepping stone for, for, for players and associations alike. Now, there'll be another round of qualifiers at the next World Hockey League semi-finals in Johannesburg, which are just around the corner. Of course, the first uh, semi-final is underway now, for the women in Brussels, but so we don't have any particular results that we can give you definites on that yet. And the second round of semi-finals for the women will also be played in Johannesburg. That's coming up uh, July 8th. That tournament's beginning for the women, and uh, for the men, that tournament will be beginning on July 9th. So they'll be played concurrently there in South Africa. That'd be good. I like it when the men's and women's tournaments are played together. Yes, yeah. and, and I think it's important for South Africa to get those events there as well. We obviously all know the stories about them missing out on taking the side to the Olympics, which is a great shame for a lot of those players. 
um, and it would be good for the sport to be put into the forefront of the, the sporting authorities in South Africa and to realise what a great game we've got and uh, what a great following that, that the sport has within their country. Uh, just one question about the qualification for the World Cup. Um, going back to the championship winners, who would each find themselves, each of the five winners of each confederation would find themselves a place. There's a fair chance that the winner of the European Championship is already going to have qualified through the World League for such an event. And I think probably the second and third place teams in there as well. Potentially from somewhere like Europe, yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess that gives a, you know, a team that might finish fourth or fifth in that particular championship the opportunity to play. But I wonder if it, it works out as equally, say, perhaps it does for Oceania, where Australia's probably going to qualify for both men's and women's, but that would leave the door open for New Zealand as well to, to win that Oceanic Championship yeah, to qualify. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I'll leave this job to you, John, to sort of dig into the files on the FIH <laughs> website with regard to qualification. So it may be the second place side uh, within the confederation that would get the spot, but it may also be the highest ranked side that gets it. Um, these rules seem to be made to be a little bit flexible. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you look at that one. Is that flexible in a good way or flexible in a sometimes dodgy way? Oh, it seems to me that hockey authorities all over the world like to leave a little bit of wriggle room. <laughs> And now we're going to turn our attention to our feature interview and today we're going to continue with Terry Walsh, the FIH Master Coach and general all-round hockey legend. And we're going to pick up this week with Terry talking about the lead-up to the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal and also how he felt about not quite making it to Moscow in 1980. Terry, you mentioned earlier Montreal, which was uh, 1976, your first Olympic Games. What sort of preparation did you go through then? Were you in a camp beforehand, or did you just roll up, as you mentioned before, in Montreal? Well, we actually uh, we had a bit of a camp here in Perth before we went to Pakistan. Um, we actually went to Pakistan in the very early part of 1975, then went to... Uh, to the World Cup following that and Pakistan was a real eye-opener we'd never been and this was my first international tour and I, I when I say we quite a few of us were in that boat um, we went across in into Pakistan went through a lot of the back areas of Pakistan which was just an unbelievable hockey country and had a culture of playing the sport where that they were just unbelievably good and they had lots of them who could play really, really well and they could run at 100 mile an hour in one direction and turn at right angles while we kept running into the wall. You know, they were just unbelievably good and they played on clay and we were all used to playing on grass but they played a lot of their hockey on the clay surface and uh, we played a few games in that type of environment but mainly in grass but we experienced you know a whole change in the way that we went about what we did as a game uh, playing in Pakistan and I think that was one of the best things we ever did uh, to be quite honest in that era was to get away and actually when we when I was involved with the Institute in the early days, we wanted to go to Pakistan and into India because we felt that that was a, 
if you want to call it hardship, it was a hardship that uh, you had to learn to live with and, and still perform on a daily basis. And uh, it was the lifeblood of a lot of people in, in those countries. Hockey was a big game. It was a big sport. And so to play in front of big crowds, as it were, you know, possible to do in the early days when you played internationally, you could play in front of 50,000, 60,000 without too much trouble. And a lot of things change, most most notably their ability to stick with it at the highest level, and so their level of performance dropped away, and so did the crowds. There was a direct correlation there over the, over the period that I was involved. But uh, it was a it was a very good experience. So we we went to Pakistan, we went right around Pakistan to places like Shikapura and Sagoda. The names still stick in my mind, as well as the Multans and the and the Lahores and the Karachis and further up Islamabad and, and so on so it was uh, it was a great experience for for a bunch of young guys and um, many of the stories that when we get together nowadays and when we do talk it takes us back into that <laughs> to that part of our lives um, not so much on the hockey pitch marginally but what was going on off it was uh, it was really quite an experience so who, who were the, the teams that you were playing against in Pakistan we just played against Pakistan. Um, right, right. We played against regional teams as well as we went around, but it seemed as though it was the same group of players to us <laughs> who were travelling around on the plane. But um, the, uh, uh, the, it, was, it was basically just Pakistan over there. Argentina, I recall, were touring there at the same time before the World Cup, which was in 1975 in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur. So... That was uh, that was a, yeah it was a very interesting period of time but it was it was a really hugely important uh, development period for that group of players I think that we had in that in that team. So then then it was straight on to Montreal after the the Pakistan trip. Uh, no, Pakistan, we went to the World Cup in 1975 and then 1976 was the the Olympics and we were still very much you know we're teaching or doing whatever our profession allowed us to do and then we'd get away uh, we'd leave without pay to go on some of these big events and uh, of course the Olympics is the is I guess the biggest event you can go to and certainly the biggest multi-sport event and it's totally different from a World Cup um, in hockey because World Cup of course is just one sport um, and it's all hockey 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 but when you go to the Olympics it's just uh, it's a totally different experience. You have multiple settings in, in the sport environment. Many of these people are just, their, you know, their icons in their own right. And uh, at that time, most of those big names stayed inside the village. Today, most of them don't, but uh, uh, at that time, most of them stayed inside the village. So it was a very interesting setup and something very hard to explain, but it certainly gives you a good a dose of humility when you're there because you're, you're sitting alongside a lot of very, very famous people in their sporting environments. Terry, you went to two Olympics. You were at Los Angeles as well, but squeezed in between Montreal and Los Angeles is, of course, Moscow, and the Australian hockey team didn't compete at Moscow. Is that, perhaps looking back now, a decision that you regret the authorities made, or what sort of effect did it have on the players? Politics and sport probably don't mix. They never have. They never will, and it didn't then. We'd made a decision at that point that we would go, and it was left up to us by our government from, uh, to the to the team. We were totally in agreement that we would go and we were training. And I remember just a couple of weeks before we left, we had received all our equipment and uh, all the bits and pieces to go, and then uh, the decision was made to pull the rug under that 
and uh, from under the feet of the, the national team. We had a very good side too. We had a good chance of winning, I think, in, in 1980. Uh, but it wasn't to be. Very, very disappointing. And it's still something that sits, you know, sadly in, in, in the memory. But you understand how all these things happen. As you get older, you, you, you realise that uh, a lot of things are literally out of your hands and uh, quite often out of the hands of many other people as well. And decisions get made for obscure reasons. But from what I've found out, uh, it, it wasn't a very sensible, wasn't a very sensible reason anyway uh, that the whole thing happened. It was very much politicised. And that was Terry Walsh talking about some of his Olympic experiences or non-Olympic experiences as the case may be. And we'll be hearing some more from Terry a little bit later on when we get to uh, the second part of the interview we'll be playing today. At the full unedited portion, 20-odd minutes or so from this section, will be on the website on Thursday, this coming Thursday, www net. that's our webpage. We've got some socials as well, Matt. Yeah, so if you forget the website, which I'm not, not sure that's too hard, to, it would be pretty hard to do, but uh, you can find us on twitter.com forward slash the reverse stick and facebook.com forward slash the reverse stick. Yes, and all of our interviews will be up there in their entire unedited form. Uh, given that we only go for about half an hour or so. We can't always get everything into the little time slot we have here, but it's always available on the website, www.thereversestick.net. Now, Matt, uh, recently we've had uh, a lot of talk from the FIH about the new league coming up, the, the new pro league and the hockey revolution and moving forward with the game and making it exciting and bringing new listeners and viewers into the game, new fans. And I've just started to think about what is the hockey community it was just a question i posed to myself the other day i've written an editorial this week for the website about the responsibility of now the fih has announced the new pro league and has the hockey revolution underway the responsibility for making this work does not rest on the fih's shoulders it rests on ours as the hockey world the hockey community and how do you think the hockey community is embracing these concepts and I have a feeling that the hockey community is generally lazy when it comes to its own sport well look I think if you want people to embrace concepts then you generally need some buy-in from them in the first place so if you don't have that buy-in then there's a good chance that, that people are happy to let things on a slide by and not take too much interest in them um you know, there, there's uh, certainly here in Australia, you get interest in the national team when there's big tournaments on. Um, we spoke last week a bit about the the TV proposals that are coming through for the Hockey Pro League from FIH, and it's hard to get to watch the game. So you get to watch some of the big tournaments, you don't get to watch all of them. So you don't get that sad when you miss out on a game, I think. Um, so our hockey community, what is the hockey community, I think is founded in people that play the game, coach the game, umpire the game, and support those doing those things. Um, I don't know how much of a reach outside of those groups we actually have, apart from our equipment suppliers and, and turf suppliers and those sort of things. It's people who love hockey are involved with the game, um, and this is something that could work against us looking forward to wanting to get big TV deals. Um, it's a limited market, but it's just the hockey players are the ones that are watching the hockey. Yeah, I, I've always find it remarkable. We, we have a, a different perspective than obviously a lot of hockey people in the world will have. We have different cultures than other people. And, you know, 
it, it's just different for us, and every place is different than every other place. Where we live, we have a uh, a large national sport that takes up all of the media coverage, and um, no one else really gets a look in. Even sports like soccer don't get a look in here, which people from other countries would think was crazy. Why isn't it the number one headline sport? But it's not. Um, what I find funny is that we have hockey lovers, hockey players, that are members of these particular football clubs that will go to a game, will pay memberships to go and watch their football club, but that you'll, you won't see them in a test match involving Australia. No, well, they'll, they'll look at it and go, oh, jeez, ten bucks to go and watch some hockey. Well, I can go and watch some hockey any time. And, and I agree totally, and, and, and it's, you know, in the UK, soccer is a big game over there, and you'll get people that pay and go and watch soccer, but don't play the game, have never played the game. Yeah. It's just a, a, a bizarre situation. I can't seem to get around a cause for this in my mind. There's, there's more registered hockey players in this state that I live in than there are football players. And yet every week, week in, week out, 35, 40,000 people turn up to watch one of these football teams play. So, and, sorry, and, well, just, and just to qualify, while you're saying football, you're talking about Australian rules football. So, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. it is a very geographic specific sport. Absolutely. It, it has no appeal outside of this country or such a minute amount of appeal. It's not, it's not funny. And I still can't get it past my head why the hockey community doesn't support hockey the same way that the football community supports football. Yeah, it's, it's a numbers game. So I, th- I think there's, there may well be more hockey players playing the game than, than, um, there are, say, footy players or soccer players or, well, you know, whatever it might be in whichever country. Um, but yeah, I don't know whether it's because we don't have those big events and maybe the hockey pro league, that's one of the aims is this to have these big spectacles. If you talk about cricket, you talk about the Ashes series, um, you know, across whatever, whatever sport you look at. Yeah, it was interesting too. The, um, the interest in the Pakistan-India game at the World League recently. And there, there was a lot of genuine interest from people who live outside of those countries, be they hockey fans, but who want to see those games, especially Pakistan and India, because we all know it's going to be on. You know, they, those teams were going to go hard at each other. Yeah, they, they will, but <laughs> Pakistan is, is just, uh, it's playing on my mind constantly at the moment because of that introduction or the, that announcement that they're going to be in the, you know, the, the nine sides selected for the Hockey Pro League. Um, they had a couple of wins, um, at the Hockey World, uh, League semi-finals just recently, but they got a couple of smashings as well. And I just don't think they're where they need to be, um, as, as a, as a sport at the moment to even consider being part of that hockey pro league um they they seem a million miles away from where they need to be yeah which is a real pity considering what we've heard from terry walsh about his experiences and that's it that that, that's it and and i think you you talk about different cultures um when we've talked before about the the indian and the pakistani uh culture of of hockey um is it still there today? And it, and are the kids playing it like they were in the days when when Terry um, toured there? Yeah, we probably have to speak to someone from Pakistan. In fact, maybe we should put that on the the next interview list. We'll get someone from Pakistan to talk about the game there. 
And look, if, if there's anybody out there that you'd like to have interviewed by us or you, you want to ask some questions of, then please do let us know. Um, as we said before, you can get on touch through social media um, or direct, direct to us at www.thereversestick.net. Um, but, yeah, we'd be really interested to find out if there's any people within the game that you'd be keen to hear from. And it could be anything from, uh, you know, top top international players that uh, have won World Cups to um, even, you know, your local groundskeeper. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from anybody that's got anything to do with the game because we've all got a story to tell. And speaking of stories to tell, it's time for part two of our interview with Terry Walsh, our extended interview with Terry Walsh. We've got another <laughs> bit more to go next week as well. And there's a whole lot more that will be on the website, www.thereversestick.net. But, uh, first up, Terry's going to talk about uh, his knee reconstruction, and we'll have a chat about that at the end of the interview. And also... Uh, a famous goal, you might have seen it on YouTube, the 1986 World Cup. I did an ACL, I was playing, I still remember it vividly, playing against Ireland uh, at the Perth Stadium um, and just trying to turn 180 degrees very quickly and it you know, just didn't work. <laughs> so uh, I, I blew the knee out and they said, oh, look, you need to probably have a reconstruction on your, on your knee, which I sort of looked around for and didn't find terribly much information about and at that time they were doing this new process which actually had carbon fibre involved and they'd sutured here and there and everywhere and joined things up and I thought no I don't think that's a wise thing to do so um, I ended up with, uh, with our physio Graham Reed. I'd got a, uh, a brace that was then very very, very new on the NBA scene in, in American basketball and I uh, managed to get hold of one of these braces and did a huge amount of work um, strengthening hamstrings particularly and quads and uh, using this brace and using uh, an orthotron as it was then. I used to use that three or four times a week and gradually managed to get back to a reasonable place and uh, managed to get back into the team. Uh, and only last year, in actual fact, I decided that it was, I was told that by the time I got to 45, I'd, uh, I'd need a, a complete knee replacement. Now, I was still fairly mobile, had a few problems, but um, last year I decided to get it completely replaced, so I did that, and uh, that's where I am now. But, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to continue to play with an injury like that for such a, a period of time, but the people around me were the ones who, who allowed me to, you know, to get the uh, get not the treatment but the work ethic, I guess, uh, and uh, and push that pretty hard to make sure that I was able to get, at least give myself a chance to play. Your final game for Australia as a player was the 1986 World Cup. Yep, is that right? And uh, if for anybody that's interested, there's vision on YouTube of you scoring the winning goal in that particular game. Do you have any your <laughs> memories of that moment? I do. I remember it vividly, in actual fact, because I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I remember JB uh, Johnny Bestelman, uh scored a corner um, after that, and we end up winning two one. But the moment was vivid in my mind. I, I remember the ball coming from the left side on a long corner, as it were, was in those days, hit it out from the corner, and it went around the back inside the circle and on, onto my right side. The ball basically bounced in front of me and I remember Taylor Ian Taylor who was the goalkeeper from, from England he, he was an outstanding goalkeeper um, and we had all sorts of issues in 1984 at the Olympics 
Um, we had a bunch of penalty calls, about 22 penalty calls or something for the third and fourth playoff game. And we, uh, we really messed it up and we probably should have won the gold medal in that year. We didn't and we didn't win the bronze medal either. And, uh, the bronze medal failure was, uh, fairly well at Taylor. Uh, proposition was outstanding on the penalty corners and we weren't so efficient, I don't think. But needless to say, in 86, we had our chance again, Taylor in the net. And so there was a bit of history there, but I remember the ball bobbling and it was sort of between knee and waist height. And I thought, well, I'm just going to knock this into the corner, but Taylor might get this with, with an outstretched leg if I sort of hit it down. So I deliberately knocked it into the ground. Uh, into the turf so he'd have to go with his leg and it would hit the turf and just bounce up into the air and he couldn't do anything about it because he'd have an outstretched leg and that's exactly what happened and uh, it seems slow motion to me still today uh, but I remember that vividly um, and it's really really slow in my own mind but uh, I have seen the goal again obviously and uh, it happens pretty fast <laughs> but it's amazing at what the mind can do Was that one of your better goal celebrations? Uh Oh, I, I, I really don't know. I, I sort of enjoyed scoring goals. I, I remember one of the best goal scoring, uh, not a celebration, but I remember hitting a goal and I didn't even bother watching whether it went in or not. I was facing the wrong way and I just smacked <laughs> it in and just tucked the stick under my arm and walked back to the centre. Um, but, yeah, look, I, you remember odd things and not necessarily in the in the very top competition that you're playing, but the camaraderie and the people around you and the, and the, the tales that are told, you know, with all of that, I think is uh, one of the major things that keeps you together over a long period of time uh, when you're playing, in, you know, on the international scene. And that was the case. We were really lucky to have a, a great group of people, um, both on and off the pitch, within the group, who, uh, who were really supportive and. Yeah, we were fortunate to be successful as well, so it was a it was a great era. And we'll be hearing more from Terry next week. We'll feature part three, our final part of the interview with FIH Master Coach Terry Walsh. And uh, quite amazing, his uh, comeback to world hockey. When you consider these days how knees are treated and knee injuries, and the the amount of time athletes take off and the amount of rehab and recovery they go through, his efforts to, to play international hockey after blowing his knee up is incredible. And it was all based on hard work and, as he said, his work ethic. And look, that's, he, he spoke in the first part with regard to that work ethic um, from kids coming through and succeeding at the, the higher levels of the game. And uh, look, he, he certainly lived and breathed every moment of that and to, and to continue on at that high level after such a, an injury was just amazing. Oh yeah, and pure guts. I mean, uh, you know, some in those days that ended your career—a serious knee injury like that. And it's not just that he got back playing hockey, but he got back playing at international level. And I, I do distinctly remember that pillow that he carried around on his knee there for a few seasons. Now, John, we spoke. Um last week or the week before with regard to the modifications in the rules and, and the fact that FIH have never been afraid to try something. Oh, yes. Well, I, I went through the uh, some archives the other day and I found something which was um, put out uh, from the FIH asking member nations uh, to hold experimental trial matches with new pitch markings. Now, this was prior to the Mexico Olympics in 68, is that right? Yes, Mexico City. 
Great. Uh, so the first one was the new pitch markings. Three equal portions along the length of the pitch, as in ice hockey. This would bring about an important modification of the offside rule because an attacker could only be offside in the third of the pitch nearest the goal he was attacking. Um, in an effort to make the game more open and to produce more goals, the Federation also will recommend to the International Hockey Rules Board that it restrict to six the number of defenders allowed behind the line when a long corner is taken. Restrict it to six. Restrict it to six, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, cause originally it was all, all 11 behind the line there. <laughs> Um, and then in the case of short corners, it gets better. The Federation would propose that only the goalkeeper could remain between his goalposts and five other defenders would be allowed behind the goal line but on the opposite side of the goal from that which the corner was given. You think a few extra goals might have been scored under that model? Oh, it's just, uh, I, 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 yes, <laughs> it, it would have been an interesting time. But, of course, there were no drag flicks then. No, there were, that's true, that's true. But yeah, the yeah, rules would have been slightly different than they are today. I do worry about that, what they were thinking with the ground markings, though. What, you're making a netball court? You'll have us in bibs soon. I'm just a little bit more disappointed that there was a, a reference of us trying to take something from ice hockey uh, rather than ice hockey taking everything from us, in, including the name hockey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good point. Well, Matt, I do have some feedback this week. And strangely enough... It's related to the music. I was just about to say it's not about the music, is it? <laughs> yes, and, and it's close to home, this little bit of feedback. I ran into a, uh, a fellow clubmate of ours on Saturday afternoon after our game and had a little chat to him at the bar and uh, he was very pleased with what we're doing and enjoyed it and I felt a nice warm glowy feeling about everything he was saying and uh, I went to go outside to join my teammates in our fine session and as I was about to leave the room and walk through the door our friend Daryl blurted out oh the music sucks <laughs> so <laughs> thanks Daryl we'll bear that in mind we might just keep it going like that just to annoy him if, uh, if we can do <laughs> I think that's well and truly within our capabilities and just before we go, uh, just let you know that we should be appearing on iTunes from this weekend onwards and uh, other pod feeders. You can go to our website and find out details on that, www.thereversestick.net. Uh, we will have the first three episodes available there on iTunes. So tell your mates, recommend us, share us, give us a like, do whatever you do. Pass on the good word of our podcast and the game of hockey. And you can catch all of our interviews in full on the website, thereversestick.net. Catch you next week, mate. Cheers, John.